0: Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, There's a bunch of things that I want to talk about today, uh, but I I want to start off, we're just finishing the holiday of Shavuos, which is when we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. And most years, almost every single year, um, we have Parshas Naso after Shavuos. And um, I was thinking about that, and particularly just the first letter of Parshas Naso, which is the letter Nun. And I'm going to talk about the letters in what I hope is a a very deep uh, and very meaningful way um, today, with God's help. But, But let's just begin by discussing the letter Nun. So just to recap, we've just celebrated the receiving of the Torah, and the Parsha that comes just about every single year after receiving the Torah is Naso, which begins with the letter Nun. So what's the meaning of that? So I was sort of thinking about this, and, and the following came. So, the letter Nun of Nasa, and, and by the way, just so you know, why, why are we zeroing in on that? Because the names of the Parsha are very, very significant. And in a lot of ways, like, you can find the meaning of the whole Parsha in the name of the Parsha. And then, it says, all beginnings are significant. So, maybe the entire name can be captured within the first letter of the Parsha itself. So basically, we're boiling everything down into its DNA. That's why we're zeroing in on the, uh, on the first letter of the Parsha. So it's not, it, that's the methodology behind this, okay? So again, we just got the Torah at Mount Sinai. Keep the word Sinai uh, in the back of your mind, because we're going to return to that. We just got the Torah at Mount Sinai, and now we're reading Parsha's Naso, which begins with the letter Nun, which is sort of like everything is, uh, is sort of like condensed into that Nun. Okay. So so why the letter Nun? So we know in Gematria, the numerical equivalent of the letter Nun is, is the number 50. Now how does that connect to, to the Torah? Well, in, in a couple of very obvious ways. In the first way, we know that we received the Torah the 50th day after we left Egypt. So everything has been leading up to the 50th day. So that's, that's, that's and of course we've been counting Sfirah Omer culminating with the 50th day of the receiving of the Torah. So, in a, in, so it makes sense that we go straight from Mount Sinai to the letter Nun, which is 50. But it's more than just the 50th day. It also stands for what we call in Hebrew the Shar Chamishim, which is the 50th gate. And we know in levels of understanding that there are 50 gates, and the 50th is the highest gate. And so the 50th gate is the gate of Torah. So, again, it makes sense, after receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, we're at the 50th gate. That's the letter Nun. But, you know, there are also 50 gates of purity and 50 gates of impurity. And so it goes both ways. And, and you know, one of the kind of like the, 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 the classic teachings is that when Moshe, when Moses came to take us out of Egypt that the Jewish people were holding on the 49th level of impurity. And I've heard two explanations, and that if Moshe had come a moment later, we would have sunk into the 50th level of impurity and never would have been able to get out of Egypt. So I've heard two explanations that I think are very compelling as to what that 50th level of impurity um, actually means. So one I heard from my brother-in-law in the name of a rabbi, and he said the following that the 50th level of impurity would have been, Moshe would have shown up and said, Okay, it's time to leave Egypt, time to leave slavery, and, and to do your mission. And they would have said, What are you talking about? What mission? What do we have to do? So in other words, the idea that that it's possible to forget what it is you're here to accomplish, that's the 50th level of impurity, that you've forgotten what it is that you're here to do. So that's one explanation. The other explanation, which is maybe even deeper than that, is that there is no such thing as the 50th level of impurity. And that and that, that there is no such thing as hopelessness in Torah. Meaning to say that however low a person falls, that there's always a way for them to return. And, you know, in, in AA and in Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about someone falling off the wagon. That means that they... They were drinking, right? And But then they stopped drinking, think I But then they started drinking again, so they fell off the wagon. But in Torah, if you fall off the wagon, you always fall onto another wagon. <laughs> Meaning to say that there's always something there to catch you. Because you're never, as long as you're alive, you're never without a mitzvah to do. And even if you've messed everything up in your life, nonetheless, you still have the mitzvah of tshuva to return. So there's always a wagon that we fall onto. Okay. So now let's get back to this idea of, of the number 50. So, so again, we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. And now we're at this letter Nun of Naso, the Parsha that, that comes after the receiving of the Torah. And we said that it stands for the 50th day, because Nun is 50, the 50th day. After we left Egypt, we got to Mount Sinai. And it also stands for the 50th gate, the highest gate of understanding. So, so I was thinking... There's also another level to the level to the letter nun. And that's this idea of noflim. That means to fall. Because right now we're at the top. And in a way, there's only one place to go, and that's down. And the word, the letter Nun stands for in Torah also noflim, which means to fall. And you see this um uh, in the clearest way, in the great psalm, Psalm 145, by King David, David Amel, called Ashrei, And in Ashrei, which the sages say, if you recite three times a day, you're guaranteed a place in the next world. It goes through the entire Aleph base, letter by letter. And that's a way that you're able to sort of, so to speak, sum up all the praises in the world to God, because... Even though that would be impossible to do, nonetheless, if you could say something on each letter, so to speak, it's like you're trying to say everything possible uh, in praise to God. So, significantly, even though King David goes through the entire alphabet, he leaves out one letter, and that's the letter Nun. And the sages say in Gemara Bruchas, the reason is because Nun stands for the word noflim, to fall. And he didn't want to make reference to the idea that the Jewish people should ever fall spiritually. And so he did something actually really brilliant, which is the letter afternoon is the letter Samech. Samach means to uplift. And actually the letter samich is a circle. And I heard from my Rebbe, from Reb Shlomo, something very beautiful, which is that when you hug someone, what you're doing is you're making the letter samach around them, and on a soul level, what you're communicating to them is that you're not going to let them fall. So when maybe the reason why it feels so good to be hugged is because when you're getting hugged, it's like Hashem is communicating to you through that person. God is telling you, I'm not going to let you fall. And so, so in the ashray, which goes through all the letters, it leaves out the letter Nun for falling, but the letter Nun reappears in the next line, in the letter Samech. It says, Somech Hashem l'chol hanoflim. Hashem uplifts all of the fallen ones. So this is a beautiful reframing. In other words, the only time that any mention is making of falling is only in the context that Hashem is going to lift up all the fallen ones. Okay, so so it's true, here we are, after receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, and and we get to this letter Nun, which is all the way at the top, and there's only one place to go but down, right? Ah, so now let's look at the letter, let's look at the word Sinai. Sinai, right? It's spelled Samech, Yud, Nun, Yud. And so I was thinking about that. And I realized, wow, Yud and Yud in Sinai spells out the name of Hashem. And Samech Nun Samich stands for somech and the Nun for No flame. In other words, the name Sinai itself says Hashem uplifts all the fallen ones. Meaning to say that it's that as an aspect of receiving the Torah. God says, "I know you're human beings, and I know you're going to make a mistake, and I know you're not always going to get it right. But I'm promising you that I'm always going to be there to pick you up and to lift you up." So I shared this thought uh, with Rabbi uh, Korupkin, from uh, currently of Canada, formerly of Los Angeles, and he added something so beautiful. He said, "Wow, okay, so that's so 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 you." So you've given this, this, this idea that Sinai is Hashem somech noflim. Hashem lifts up the fallen ones. Yud, Yud, Samech Nun. Well, look at, look at this week's Parsha. That Nun that we've been talking about is the first letter of Parsha's Naso. Look at the word Naso. So there's um, certain letters. Um, part of the depths of Torah study is that when you pronounce a word, the tongue moves around the mouth. And certain letters emanate from certain parts of the mouth. Like the letter B is B. If you go B, you'll see that it comes from the lips. And then some letters like Ches comes from the back of the throat. And so there are groups of letters that are um, categorized by which part of the mouth they come out of. And letters that come from the same part of the mouth can be interchanged, can be exchanged for each other. So for instance, naso has the letter sin in it. That's like the letter shin, but with the dot on the other side. Okay? So the letter sin can be exchanged for the letter samich, because they both make the same noise. S, s. So sin, according to classic Torah study, can be exchanged for samich. So now let's revisit the name of this week's parsha, naso, right? Nun, Shin gets exchanged for Samech, and we have Aleph. So again, we have the Samech and the Nun. The name of the Parsha itself is Samech, Noflim, and the Aleph stands for Anochi, because Hashem at Harsinai, at Mount Sinai, announced His presence with the word Anochi, I am, I exist. So here you see that in the Parsha that comes right after the receiving of the Torah, the same idea exists from Sinai, which is Hashem uplifts the fallen in this language of Anochi, So something, something very, very beautiful I think. Okay, so, so I want to transition into another thought, because when, when are we most in need of being lifted up? And I think that the answer is when we feel most alone, most abandoned. And so the question is, what do you do at those moments? So, you know, on an intellectual level, we know God fills the entire world. And that it's impossible to be separated from God. No matter where you are, no matter what you do, whether you're doing great things in your life or not so good things in your life, whatever it is, wherever you're holding, if you're alive... That's proof that God is right there, because who's keeping you alive? who's keeping the world going so but these are all when a person is feeling low and down and out depressed, these are all intellectual thoughts that's usually not enough to get you to feel Hashem's presence or to feel your own self-worth. so the question is what do you do to activate the awareness of God and 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 that sense of relationship? When, when you're not feeling connected, when God seems concealed. And so, so I was thinking about something, and this feels to me very foundational, um, what, what I'm going to share with you right now, um, and maybe is just a very good tool to keep in mind going forward. So one of the great ironies, in, in my opinion, in the entire Torah, is perhaps the greatest revelation of godliness in the whole Torah is the splitting of the Red Sea. If you ask people, like, what's the biggest miracle in the whole Torah? I think most people would tell you it's the splitting of the Red Sea. And by the way, it says when the sea split, just so you know, that all the heavens split also. And that the lowest person, spiritually speaking, had a vision of godliness and of the heavens greater than Yechezkel, greater than Ezekiel, which is one of the greatest descriptions that we have of the upper worlds. That was the lowest spiritual person. So so the splitting of the Red Sea was not just a dramatic salvation, you know, in the here and now, in terms of saving our lives against the oncoming Egyptian army, but spiritually speaking, it was awesome beyond awesome beyond awesome, okay? Now, the, the very least of it, the very least of that miracle was how much Hashem demonstrated his mastery over water, right? That's, that, that's, that's pretty simple. Nonetheless, I point that out, because the next event that takes place, not actually in the written Torah, but chronologically, it's the next thing that happens. Um, so, so this the, the connection I'm about to make isn't so obvious, because you don't actually see it when you're flipping the pages of the, of the Torah itself. But nonetheless, this is the next event that happens is that all of a sudden, after the splitting of the Red Sea, the Jewish people don't have any water to drink for three days. Now, isn't that just astounding? That here God splits the seas, <laughs> splits all the heavens, and now all of a sudden there's no water? So, so, so obviously it's, it was a test. And God tells us straight out that, that he was testing us in this way. Now the sages say something very, very amazing which is that water always stands for Torah, and that the Jewish people didn't learn Torah for three days. All right, so let's just take it back a step. You see, I think the nature of the test was the following, which was God says, look at how you are with me when I'm completely revealed, when you can feel my presence. Right, that's the splitting of the Red Sea. Then God wanted to see, How are you with me when I'm concealed? When you don't see my hand? How are you acting then? And that's very, very deep. See, because when God is concealed, we feel very distant and very, very far away. And now, this is what I think the sages are saying in the most amazing way. Which is that the The fact that we didn't have water for three days, don't say that we didn't have water for three days. Maybe we also didn't have water for three days, by the way, but that we didn't learn Torah for three days. In other words, in a time of concealment, the way to reveal God in a time of concealment is through Torah study. And that's what we're being told. That's what we're being told over here. And that's one of the greatest gifts that that we can ever know, that piece of information. If you want to reveal God in a time of concealment, because for whatever reason, just because of the divine wisdom, God has willed it so that sometimes he's revealed and sometimes he's concealed. And we, we don't really need a lot of tools of how to act around God when he's revealed because we know what to do at those moments, right, but when he's concealed it's it's that is a that's where we have to roll up our sleeves and so so we're being told right now that if this concealment correlated one hundred percent with a lack of Torah study, therefore if one learns Torah, you reveal God, and it's so true because any time that you learn Torah. All of a sudden, you're, you gain access into the fact that God is here, that He's running the world, that He loves us, and all these amazing things. So, the tool for revealing God during times of concealment is through Torah study. And you know, I just uh, I just want to show you, on an even deeper level, how this works. Okay. When God created the world, you know, one of the, 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 the first things that it says in the Torah is, vayhi or, which means, let there be light. So, so we tend to think, and we're mistaken, by the way, but we tend to think that that light that God said, let there be light, he, that God was talking about the light of the sun and the reflected light of the moon. It's not true. He was talking about an awesome, awesome, awesome light that we call the or haganu's, Because that means the hidden light, because God saw that that light would be enjoyed by those who aren't worthy to really experience it. And so God took that created light, that awesome, awesome light, which, by the way, burned for 36 hours, and the Rokeach says this is why we have 36 candles that we light over the course of Hanukkah, because we're tapping into that hidden light, Okay. But God took that light and hid it away until the end of days when God's oneness is going to be completely revealed. Or to the extent that we can grasp it anyway. And that light is going to be a big factor in terms of just absolutely opening up unbelievable gates of perception for us. So the question is, if it says God hid that light away, where did he hide it? So I saw from the B'nai Yisachar something very amazing. The words Eshaor, which is referring to that light, Eshaor in Hebrew means the light, the gematria, the numerical equivalent of Eshaor, the light, referring to this great original light, the numerical equivalent is 613, meaning to say that God took that light and put it into the Torah itself. Ah, so now when we say that the great tool for revealing God during times of concealment is to learn Torah, now you see it on a much, much deeper level. That just the act of opening up a Torah book, there's so much light, so much of that heavenly light has been placed in the Torah itself, that when you open up that book and you begin to learn it, all of that light begins to flow out, and all of a sudden, nothing is concealed anymore so it's 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 very clear on a on a, on a on a metaphysical level it 's very very clear so but what one has to remember is to learn torah that 's why it's so important to learn Torah every single day because if you make it part of your life, then you're constantly generating light, and so even when times of concealment come because you're already generating light you 're going to be protected and you're going to be able to have clarity even when other people don't have clarity. And now I want to show you how this idea works in a slightly different way, but an exceedingly deep way. And I heard this from Rabbi Kupfer today, and he asked him where he was learning from, and he said the Megale Amukos, one of the greatest of our Kabbalists. He was the chief rabbi of Krakow around the 1500s. So... So, a very amazing, awesomely, awesomely holy Rav. Um, so, now listen to this. He he asked me this question. You may have wondered it yourself. Why do we have 22 letters in the Aleph base? Remember, our mystical tradition is that God created the world out of the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so, so if that's the case, that's so foundational, then... Then 22 letters, well, that must have awesome meaning, right? Why 22 letters? So so the answer is not obvious. Not obvious at all. You know, if you're good with numbers in the Torah context, 22 doesn't necessarily spring any immediate answer to mind. So where, you know, you say, wow, that is a really good question. Where is that number 22 coming from? Why 22 letters? And remember... I'm always saying that that when you when you hear that teaching that God created the world out of the Hebrew letters, don't think that God took, you know, the letter Aleph and banged it against the letter base and made, you know, Detroit. You know, it's a, it's it's working on a, a far deeper, much more sophisticated level than that. The the letters are signifying different energy wavelengths and, and it's talking about combination of different heavenly energies in order to make creation. OK, so. So we have a concept called Simsum. Simsum means that you're taking um, something very great. Like, for instance, we talk about how God took his light at the time of creation, or an aspect in the, the very outermost aspect of God's light, and that he compressed it, compacted it down, until it became something that was material and that's the that's the physical universe, okay? So in other words, it's not just it's not that there's something that's material and something that's spiritual and that they're two completely different paradigms and different entities. That's not it at all. It's one spectrum. Something goes from the from light from 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 the spiritual and gets slowly compacted, compacted down until it's actually something that exists in the physical universe, okay? So in other words, physicality is compressed is compressed light, okay? That's, that's, these are very, very uh, important ways to understand what we inhabit and, and, and what it means to be alive and, and just interact in the world, that this is all light. And remember... God exists in this aspect this dimension of creation as much as he does in the highest aspects it's just that he's he's more concealed here he's not less present here he's just more concealed here okay so now this process of taking light and and condensing it and and compacting it this is called simsim that's that's what simsim means okay so now, remember what our question is. We're wondering, why are there 22 letters? It says God, look that God created the world out of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, meaning to say out of these divine energies. He compacted them together and somehow combined them and created the physical universe, okay? And the spiritual worlds as well. All right. So now listen to this. Now we're ready for the thought. You see, if if God just had, if God just exposed ourselves or exposed the highest level of his of his emanation, which we say the the holiest name of God is the letters Yud and He and Vav and He, right? What we refer to um, in conversation as the Yudke Vavke, right? 'Cause we don't even want to say the letters in a row because it's so holy. We want to be very, very respectful. So the letters Yudke Vovke, this this aspect of Hashem, nothing could stand in its nothing could stand before it. It would blast everything it would blast everything in its presence. Um you know, sometimes I think of a, an example. Imagine So um, imagine that uh, someone was very, very thirsty and you wanted to give them a drink of water. So you took a water cannon and held it close to their face and turned it on. Well, a giant blast of water would come and probably knock them down and they probably wouldn't even get a drop of water in their mouth because it's just too massive of a revelation for, for it to be received. So that's the idea of Hashem's name. So if God were just to emanate from this aspect of Himself, this Yudke Vovke aspect of Himself, nothing could exist in its in it in, in in its stead. It would blast through absolutely everything. So God in in creating a physical universe has to create garments around himself, so to speak. And that's, um, that's a lot of the spiritual worlds um, leading up to the physical world, okay? It's all God and it's only God. God is the only power. But nonetheless, God, so to speak, puts a garment around him. Now listen to this. If you take the letters Yudke Vavke, and now again, let's think about energy again. If God, so to speak, wanted to turn down the volume one, one notch or one, one level. Okay, well, to to emanate a little bit less, if you will. Okay, so the letter yud, the letter that goes before the letter yud, you know, every letter has a number. So the letter yud is ten. So what's the letter nine? What would be a a less powerful emanation, a more concealed. Emanation? Well, that would be the letter Tet. Okay? Then after Yud comes the letter He. What comes before the letter He? What's a tuned down um, version of the letter He? Well, He is the fifth letter. The fourth letter is Dalet. Okay? Then we have the letter Vav in Hashem's name. The letter before that is, is He. And then we have the letter He again. The last letter in the Yud K Vav K. And the letter before that, again, would be Dalet. So, once again, if we were to take sort of down to the tuned-down version, so to speak, of Hashem's holiest name, the Yud and He and Vav and He, it would be Tess Dalet, He, Dalet. So, let's add that together, okay? Tess is 9, Dalet is 4, so that's 13, plus 5, He, that becomes 18, Plus Dalet, 18 plus 4 is 22. Ah, the 22 letters of the olive base. Ah, so that's where it comes from. Unbelievable. In other words, again, just so you understand the concept, God's holiest name is, it's, it's like that water cannon, so to speak. Blasting out water, no one could drink from it. Nothing could receive from it. It would blast away everything that stands before it. Nothing could stand before it. So God, in constructing the the universe, the spiritual worlds and the physical world, right? God has to do this act. He has to be sam. He uses Sum to compress to lower this this level to conceal. This highest level of emanation so that something can exist in his wake, in his presence. And so the first sort of tuning down of God's name adds up to the number 22, which are the letters of the Aleph Bays. And now with these letters, with, these, with this new tuned down lower level of, of, of spiritual emanation, God uses this energy to create the entire universe. Okay. So this is this is really something. And again, this is another amazing recommendation for learning Torah because all of the Torah the the Torah the Ramban says that the the Torah is one long uninterrupted name for God. Okay? So and that and that it's just All these just amazing combinations of energies. So when you're learning the Torah, you're unleashing and you're unlocking and you're revealing all this massive amounts of light and energy. And again, another great recommendation for learning and for learning every single day. It's important to learn every single day because this is what reveals God in times of concealment in our personal lives and on a world level as well. I want to just uh, end with one one more thought, a separate thought really, but it's uh, something that came to me, and I, I liked this thought because here you see um, some a lot of different uh, fundamental things uh, intersecting. You see the calendar intersecting with the portion of the week. You see the text of the Torah intersecting with the souls of Israel. Okay, so a lot of things coming together here. And um, I'll try to say it as clearly as possible. Um, Before I introduce the idea, I just want to make sure that you you have some kind of fundamentals at your fingertips so that you'll be able to uh, kind of put it all together, okay? So one thing that's very important, like I said, we just got the Torah at Mount Sinai. So the Ramban says something very, very beautiful. He says, if you want to understand what the tabernacle in the desert, and that, of course, was the prototype for the Holy Temple in Jerusalem, for the Besa Migdash, if you want to understand what the Mishkan was, that's the tabernacle, if you, under, if you want to understand what that was, that was an ongoing, that was an ongoing um, recreation of the revelation of the Torah at Mount Sinai. So the the way that works, I think, uh, is is hopefully clear. Because what happened at Mount Sinai, we received the Torah. And what was held in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, the tablets of the Torah. And there were also miracles that took place um, in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle, just like there were miracles that took place at Mount Sinai. And God continued to speak to Moshe. In the Mishkan, in the Tabernacle, and of course at Mount Sinai, that's when God spoke to the entire world. So you see that the that the Tabernacle, the Mishkan, was an ongoing recreation of all of the events at Mount Sinai, and um, and that continued um, into its uh, its its uh, incarnation as the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. Okay, so so basically the thought there is that Mount Sinai equals the Mishkan. Okay. <laughs> Now, where was the Mishkan? The Mishkan was put in the middle of the encampment of the Jewish people. So we all surrounded it. And again, that was like a Mount Sinai experience because, because when we got the Torah at Mount Sinai, we were encamped all around the mountain, right? We, we lived encamped around the mountain for, for a year after the receiving of the Torah. So, so God placed the, the tablets of the of the Ten Commandments and the Mishkan itself in the middle of the encampment of the Jewish people when we traveled through the desert. And now who was in the inner circle, like the first people, the first tribe that was that surrounded the the tablets, the, the Mishkan, which was like Mount Sinai, that was the tribe of the Levium, okay, the Levis, who worked and assisted in the Mishkan itself. Okay. So now, with all that information in mind, look how you see all of this come together in a beautiful way. Okay, The holiday of Shavuos, which is the receiving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, and we said that that's like the Mishkan, right? The holiday of Shavuos, almost every single year, happens between two parshas that we read, in, which is, um, it happens between parshas Bamidbar and parshas at Nasa. And in between those two parshas, um, we receive receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. We have the holiday of Shavuos. So, so what what is written in the Torah in those parshas? Well, the end of parshas, Bamidbar is talking all about the Levium and how they carry around the... the, um, the Mishkan, okay? And the beginning of Parshas Nasa is talking all about the Leviyam and how they assist in the Mishkan. So again, let's just make sure that we're following this. The holiday of Shavuos, right, which is the giving of the Torah, which is like the Mishkan itself, right, which was the ongoing creation of the giving of the Torah, that comes between two Parshas, Bamidbar and Naso. And Bamidbar and Naso are talking about the Levium and how they and how they assist in the Mishkan, which is the ongoing recreation of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, which is the holiday of Shavuos, which is always happening in between Parshas Naso and Parshas Bamidbar, and and just like the holiday comes in between those two things, so we see that the Mishkan itself is situated. In the encampment of Israel, surrounded by the Levium, so here we see an intersection of the calendar when Shavuos comes with the parshas of the week when Bamidbar and Naso comes with the encampment of Israel, where the Mishkan is, with where the Levium were um, uh, situated, which is all around the Mishkan. So, I hope that that was clear, um, and uh, I just want to wish everyone a great. Great week, and to know to always learn Torah, to never stop, to know that Hashem is so Remember, those are the that's the word for Sinai. So mechnofliim yud yud is Hashem. Hashem uplifts the fallen. That part of the condition of giving the Torah is that God never lets us fall, and no matter how far we fall down, God is always there to lift us off, lift us up, and that if you fall off the wagon, you always fall onto another wagon, and. Uh, and that uh we should just have this strength the strength the strength to always keep going